Hey, well, good morning, everybody. Everybody doing good? Yeah, are you sure? Seriously, just smile at me. Come on. Just smile. I just want to see you smile. Okay, all right. Just want to make sure you're not joking with me. Hey, listen, my name's Jeff. I'm one of the pastors on staff. I get the unique privilege of serving actually as the lead pastor here. I don't always introduce myself by my title. Uh, We have a great staff of pastors that serve. Uh, We got some incredible campus pastors and other staff pastors that really just help us accomplish ministry at a level that is making a difference in the lives of people. And I hope and I pray that that's that's penetrating even all the way to your heart. Uh, We we love people right where they're at here at New Life, but we just we simply love people too much to leave them where they are. Um, And that just means this, that none of us are perfect. All of us are on a spiritual journey. Nobody claims that they've arrived in the journey. Okay. Just so you know that that's not part of our DNA. We just claim that we're on a journey trying to become more and more like Christ, letting the character and the nature of God penetrate our hearts so that we can, you know, look, look more like him, sound more like him, love more like him in the way that we live our lives. So that's kind of what we are. That's who we are around here. A bunch of imperfect people trying to discover what it means to live and search after Jesus. Um, you're sitting in one actually right now, one service. We, uh, we have four services every Sunday morning. We have three locations, and I want to say a big hello right now to all of those that are worshiping with us live uh, out in our North Platte location. God's been doing some great stuff out there. We were just out there this past week and celebrated as we went through what we call our spiritual journey report, which gives an account of you know, our core values, the six core values that we believe uh, that, that kind of mandate why we do what we do here at this church, and we create a document for that. Uh, you can actually pick one up out in the lobby out in North Platte. You can pick one up in the lobby, the main lobby here at our Carney campus as well. I also want to say a big hello to all those that are worshiping with us in the venue. Yeah, uh, those guys down there are awesome. I love them. Um, so we're just one church in multiple locations. There's a number of people that are worshiping with us online right now, so I'll say hello to all of them as well. Uh, We're at the second week of our teaching series, James, and the online feature might be really important for you. You know, I don't know about you, but I've heard a lot of people tell me, Jeff, James is like my favorite book of the entire Bible. And I would say this to you, uh, here at New Life, I know that we have a number of people that have yet to really say Jesus is their Lord and their leader. Um, that you're searching, you're discovering, trying to, dis- trying to find out whether you're going to give your life and surrender your life to Christ. And I want to say, whether you're here in the gym in North Platte, wherever you are, you are completely welcome at this church to be on a journey of discovering if Jesus is true, if he is the way, the truth, and the life, and if I should follow him with all my life. So if that's you, I would definitely recommend that you be reading um, with us in James, but I would highlight for you a different book. Um, At the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I would definitely encourage you to be reading the book of John. Um, Once a person commits their life to Christ, I would highly recommend that they start devouring the book of James, though. Um, And that's kind of where we're at. James was written for the church. James was writing to Jewish Christians at the time that had committed their lives to Christ and had scattered abroad and they were all over the known region of of that territory of the time. And James is writing to them in a very difficult season of their life. Uh, Last week, we kind of preached out of James chapter 1 from uh, verse 1 all the way through verse 12. Here's where the online thing comes in play because if you didn't see that, go to mynewlifechurch.com and you can click on watch and go to the archived sermons where you can actually watch last week's sermon. For that matter, if you're checking us out today, and this is maybe your first time with us, um, you can actually go back for months 
and watch sermons. So if you're interested in maybe what we believe or, you know, where we really stand, it's one thing to go and read a church's, you know, statement of doctrinal truths. It's another thing to hear them preach about different things like that. And so go back and watch them and uh, take, take yourself on a journey and figure out who we really are and what's really going on um, in this church. And um, if you have any questions, please uh, don't hesitate. Email me. And I'll be willing to meet with you face to face. And if I can reply to the email, I'll just reply to it and send it back to you. Uh, just let me know. What are your questions? What are your thoughts? And, uh, you know, we want to be as transparent as possible so we can help you become the person God wants you to be. That's our, that's our ultimate goal. So as we, as we journey today into the next portion, we're taking James by thought. All right, there's a, there's a big thought in verses 1 through 12, and now there's this big thought that's happening between verses 13 all the way to the end of James chapter 1. So if you have a, if you have a phone, uh, by all means, turn the ringer off, but open your phone up and use your Bible app or whatever and, you know, journey with us. So it would be very, very, very good for you to do that. Have you ever found yourself in the middle of a blame game, though? Because this is where James starts in verse 13. Have you ever found yourself in a, in a blame game situation? Like you've been in a car accident and it was an accident. Nobody got up that morning and went, you know what I want to do today? Man, I just want to wreck my brand new car. Nobody wants to do that. So an accident happens and you find yourself in this intersection where now one person's blaming the other person and they say, well, you, you shouldn't have been in the intersection and you shouldn't have been making the left-hand turn and, you know, the light was yellow. It's your fault. It's not my fault. It's all your fault, right? As if you had nothing to do with it. You're the other driver, right? You do realize that. So uh, you've, if, if you've ever been in the blame game, you know what it's like. It's a frustrating scenario where everyone else is at fault and you are completely perfect, right? It's like the politician race that we have going on right now, where everybody blames the other, the other candidate for all the things that they've done, but nobody wants to step up to the plate and actually tell you what they will do. That's the blame game. Or if you have brothers or sisters and you grew up with them, right? And uh, you, you remember getting in trouble. And when mom or dad would ask what in the world happened, you would say, she did it, right? He did it. Am I the only one that did these things? Okay. I just want to make sure you're with me. Okay. Yeah. The blame game. Now, the blame game in life is one thing. The blame game with our spiritual life, well, that's a whole other story. In fact, that can be very detrimental. It could be extremely dangerous. So James, James jumps in right here in verse 13 by helping us understand that when it comes to your personal life and it comes to the way we live before God, we have to be very, very cautious on playing a blame game, of which we often do. Take a look at what James has to say as we jump in at verse 13. He goes, and remember, when you're being tempted, do not say or do not blame God and say that, God, you're the one who's tempting me. Don't do it. Don't get involved with that attitude, James is trying to tell him. He says, God is what? This is a strong word. What is this word? Never. Right. God is never tempted. I think that's important. You need to get that inside right now. All right. Because if you don't get that, it's going to be very difficult for you to even grasp probably the rest of this whole sermon. God is, that God has tempted me. God is never tempted to do wrong. And look at the next thing. He never tempts anyone else. These are big statements. God is never tempted and he is never tempting anyone else. 
I mean, this is important for us to understand. So instantly, right off the bat, you can hear James helping to address this issue of when we stumble, when we fall in this world, when our lives don't line up with God's word, the early Christians are just like us. We want to put blame somewhere else. And the early church was putting blame on God. Now, hold that thought for a moment. Because James is dealing with something that we all deal with here. It's called temptation. You know, if I, asked you, if I asked you to put your hand up and said how many people were tempted in this past week to do something that broke God's law, everybody's hand would go up. If I asked you to put your hand up, if you were tempted to break God's law, uh, do something that goes against what the, the principles of, of living godly in the last 24 hours, a number of you would probably put your hand up. Temptation is something that we all deal with. It just, it just keeps coming at us from every angle and from, from every facet of life. It's just something that we're going to have to understand and we need to realize. But first, we have to do something. If we're going to understand uh, what temptation is and we're going to understand how not to get caught in the blame game, we're going to have to do what James is telling us here. He says that God, God doesn't tempt. And that God, again, as well, God can't be tempted either. One of the things that we've got to get across in our, in our thick human heads, and we've got to let it saturate down into our hearts, is this one core value and belief about God. If you're not going to play the blame game, you've got to get this, mm, it's got to get deep inside of your heart. And that's this, God is absolute holy. That means, that means basically that there is no imperfection in God, that everything that God does is perfect and is right and it's just and it's holy. You've you got to come to a point where you wrestle inside of your heart, where you're willing to say, God, you are holy. That means that there is no impurity in you right? You have no evil desire inside of you, right? And you're not tempting me to sin. I mean, it's a dangerous place if that's where we get to. Now, God will test you to follow him. That's the truth. God wants to test you to follow him. That means to live righteous. But God never tempts us to live evil or to go against his will. So it's inevitable that you and me are going to stumble and we're going to fall. But it would be completely inaccurate, James is saying to us, to say that God is the one who's tempting us. And I would go as far as to tell you this. It's probably one of the most dangerous things that you can do to your whole spiritual journey. The most dangerous thing you can do is to start blaming God for being the one who tempted you. Now, when I was, you know, smarter than I am now, right? So when I was 20 years old and I had it all figured out, are you with me so far? 20 years old and I thought I had it all figured out. I remember standing in the parking lot in Bellevue, Nebraska, pointing my finger to God and blaming God for the condition that I was living in. And I blamed him for tempting me and I blamed him for not giving me a way out. Now, I'm just going to tell you right now, that's completely inaccurate because the Bible clearly tells us that God says, yes, temptation is going to come your way. I will, I will make a way for it, meaning I will allow it to happen to you, but I'm not the initiator of it. But what does God say he's the initiator of when you look at that verse? It says this, that I will initiate a way out for you. See, God's just the opposite. But when I pointed my finger to heaven that day, at the wise old age of 20, all of my world started falling apart. Everything fell apart because I took God and I radically decreased him from being holy, righteous, perfect, without any impurities. And I brought him into a place of humanity where it's filled with filth 
and evil desires and wickedness. And the moment that you do that is the moment that you lose the ability for the power and the authority of God to influence your life. It's a very dangerous place. It's a very dangerous place because you say a few things about God when you say God's the one who's tempting me. You first say, God, you're against me. That's not true. God's not against you. We just happen to live in a sinful world that's filled with people like us, like Jeff Baker, who does things unintentionally that hurt others at times, and sometimes intentionally. But I think we can all be honest in this place. Many times it's unintentional, and there's sometimes it's intentional. It's not claimed to be holier than anyone else. That's the world we live in. It's not the world that that's not the world and humanity that God created. God created a whole different picture for us to live in, but we are the ones that have turned against one another. We are the ones who are inflicting the pain and the suffering on one another, and we're marching to the beat of a different drummer than it is than God. We're marching to the beat of a drummer called our enemy, Satan. He's beating the drum and he wants humanity to walk, walk out his beat because it causes harm and affliction to others. But one thing I know for sure, without a shadow of a doubt, is that God is not the one who's against us. God's the one who says, greater am I who lives in you than he that is in the world. God's the one who says, every good and perfect thing comes from me. God is the one who establishes himself over and over and over again in Scripture as holy and righteous. But here's another thing that happens when you start blaming God. God can no longer be holy. Wow. That sounds simple, but yet it is so massive. When you remove the holiness of God, you remove the authority and the power of God. And you put God on a shelf. How can he do anything to change my life? So don't blame God, because the last thing when you blame God is just like when you blame someone else. You don't have to admit that you were wrong, and that means you don't have to change. That goes all the way back to the garden, the very beginning of man. When man sinned before God, what did man start to do instantly? Play the blame game. All right. When Adam is asked about his sin in the garden of eating the, the forbidden fruit, who does he blame? It's not a trick question. There's only one other person on the earth. All right, so I know. That's a difficult one. You want to you try it again? So when Adam, when Adam sinned, who did he blame? Okay, good. There you go. All right. And then when Eve sinned, who did she blame? See, that was a trick question, all right? Because you're going, oh, you only said one other person. It's got to be Adam. No, it was the serpent, all right? So here's the enemy. So she blames the serpent and he blames her. It goes all the way back to the beginning. So if temptation can't come from God because it tempts us to do evil, where in the world does temptation come from? And it's a good question. And it's, it's great that we're reading the book of James because in the very next verse, he gives it away. He says, read this first part with me, by the way. Temptation comes from our our own desires. Wow, wouldn't it be a lot better if James would have wrote, temptation comes from the desires of the person who lives next to you? Because wow, that would make life a lot easier. Because now I got someone to blame. <laughs> but I can't do that. Because James says it comes from Jeff Baker's desires. My temptation comes from my desires, which do something. What? What do they do? 
They entice us and they drag us away. Wow. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it even gives birth to death. I would let you know that the word death there is referring to specifically a spiritual death. Although there are times that the physical death death happens first before the spiritual death because of our actions and our sinful behavior. But he's talking about a spiritual death, which literally means that he's dealing with a separation from God. So where does temptation come from? Our own desires. I don't know about you. That's kind of interesting, right? It it kind of, it blows away some of the, the childhood growing up in church being told about the enemy and being told about Satan and what Satan does. And it puts the complete ownership on me, which is the place that it ought to lie. Inside of me is the fuel, the very fuel that a rocket needs to propel itself in a direction. Inside of me is the very fuel that can propel Jeff Baker's life into a very wicked, vile, sinful place. Why? Because the Bible's the one who tells me. And I can tell you about myself that the Bible says our heart is the most wicked thing that we possess. That our heart is more wicked than anything else. Jesus even deals with this when he's talking about the desires of the heart. Listen to what Jesus says. He says that from the heart comes these evil desires or these evil thoughts. Listen to them. Murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. But look, here's the key. These are what defile you. That it from the heart comes evil actions, evil what plans, evil desires, evil thoughts. And it's those things that end up defiling us. You know, those are the things that end up corroding us. Those are the things that end up destroying us. Those, those evil thoughts, and those are living inside of me. Now, one thing I need to tell you right straight up is that James is not taking Satan our adversary, and sitting him on the shelf someplace and saying he's just absent from the game. No, Satan's very, he's very active in the game when it comes to leading you away from Christ. So the serpent's the one who, you know, deceived Eve first, by the way. And he's still at work doing this because he's got this bent inside of his heart that wants you and me to not know the love of God, but to drift away from the love of God. And so he comes and he deceives us. He's right there whispering into our ear, but he's whispering into our ear about the desires that are living inside of our own heart. And he whispers into our ear and he's enticing us to take the actions. Oh, our desires... Yeah, they lead to temptation, but Satan is the enticer that causes the temptation to go beyond just the thought, and it leads to something much greater. So look at the progression of this particular passage, and it basically goes from this. There is a thought, right, of a temptation. The enemy comes along, and he breathes upon that thought, and what does that passage tell us? That that thought turns into a action, and if that action isn't dealt with, if there isn't repentance that's brought, okay, if there isn't correction that's brought, if there isn't sorrow that I've broken God's law from the thought all the way now to the action of doing something that now breaks God's law, then that action repeated over time is going to lead to spiritual death. So when you look at your life, where are you at in the progression? For some of you, there's the sinful desires that are trying to lead to sinful action. For some of you, it's already led to sinful action. 
Don't let it lead to sinful death. Don't let it lead to spiritual death. Don't let it do that. There's, there's no reason why that has to happen. So here's, what, here's an antidote that's got to come into play if we're going to change from a worldly set of desires that ultimately leads to death to a God-centered or a Christ-centered desire that's going to lead to life. And that's, that's when this happens. When faith collides with your desires, it gives birth to life. When you let true faith, the kind of faith that James talks about, a faith that when he says, I'm a slave to the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, I'm a, I know I'm his half-brother, but I'm a slave to the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that kind of faith where Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. When you take faith and you let it collide with your desires, it has the ability to bring life. But how does it do that? How does that happen? And what are the practical things that you and me need to do if we're going to let faith collide with our desires? Because let's just be honest for a moment. Can we just all be real? All of us in this room, everyone I can see with my, my physical eyes and everyone that can see me as I look through that camera lens, every single one of us has sinful desires living inside of us, even right now. Now, do you want to keep living with them that way? That are going to lead to action and lead to spiritual death? Or do you want to eradicate them? Because if you're sitting here like me and you're going, I want to eradicate them then you're, you're desperately going to want to hear the next number of things that we're going to be talking about. Because the very first thing that we've got to start activating is this. We have to start starving, right? Starving the sinful desires instead of feeding them. Has anybody ever gone on a diet before? Of course you have, right? For, it doesn't work quite well for me. Um, as soon as I go on a diet, I'm instantly hungry for chocolate cake. It's interesting. Like as soon as it happens... As soon as it, I go on a diet, I'm instantly like craving Eileen's cookies. It's crazy how that happens. I'm lactose intolerant. As soon as I go on a diet, I want a milkshake. I don't even care what the pain is. It doesn't even matter. And I apologize because that might be a little disgusting. But I'm just telling you, it, it's crazy. Like I don't like to eat at all-you-can-eat buffets because I know what I'll do to myself. I will buffet myself. But as soon as I say I'm going on a diet, when I, and Kim might say, where do you want to go to eat? It's like, I want to go to every all-you-can-eat place that's on the planet. It is crazy how that happens. So when I bring up the terminology, you're going to have to starve the sinful desires. I know many of you are going, dog, man, does he, does he have to go there? And the answer to that is, unfortunately, yes. There are some very basic things that you and me could start doing to start taking away the cravings of our sinful worldly desires and start gaining a hunger for more Christ-centered desires. Romans helps us understand this a little bit. It says in in chapter 13 that because we belong to the day, or other versions might say because we belong to the light, and let me pause there for a second, because you are a Christ follower basically is what this is saying. So if you're here and you're searching after God and you're wondering if you're going to surrender your life or commit your life to him, then because we belong to the light, that does not apply to you. But I will say this to you. There is at any moment in your life, you can commit yourself to Christ, surrender yourself and confess your sins to him. Just you and him. It doesn't have to be up here on the stage. This you and him. And you can transfer from the dark into the light. I would, I would, I would seriously encourage you to take that step, even this morning. So because we belong to the day, praise God, right? 
We must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate, it says. Don't participate. Don't do it. Let me just tell you what don't participate means in the original language of the Bible. You ready? You want to write this down? Don't do it. That's what it means, okay? Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity, or in immoral living, or in quarreling and jealousy. And some of you are sitting out there going, yes, that is so awesome. Because I don't participate in any of those things. Well, let me just give you some interesting understanding, though. At the end of that period behind jealousy, he could have easily continued on with all other sinful desires. Okay? Just so that you know. So all of us are found in this list. But he says, instead, don't participate in those things. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then listen to this. And don't let, don't let, don't do it again. Don't participate. Don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. That's our greatest enemy. Our greatest enemy is us. When we sit around and we think of ways to indulge our evil desires, our sinful desires, our sinful behavior, we are our own worst enemy. So what does he tell us to do to be proactive about it? He says, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I look out at this audience and I'm just hoping, praying, like deeply praying that not in Platte and out in the venue that they've done the same thing that you guys have done today. And that is when you woke up today, you put clothes on. All right, and I'm just going to pray that that's the same in the other locations. I'm, yes, of course it is. But here's the deal. He says, clothe yourselves with Christ. When you woke up today, did you just wake up in this outfit and then just get up and walk out the door and go, hey, well, we're going to church, all right. Man, I'm looking good. Did you get up and have to brush your teeth, right? I got up, brushed my teeth, got a shower, got ready, came out, clothes are laying on the bed. That's because my wife loves me, and she knows Left to my own demise, I would look way different than this that blends. It could get really nasty really fast. And you guys could be sitting there and going, dude, man, I love your heart and I love the things you say, but I just can't stare at your clothes because they're out of control, right? So thankfully, my wife loves you as well, and so she laid it all out. And I, and I put it on, I clothed myself, and then I walked out the door. What did I do? I got ready for society, But here's one of the things that we're not doing, which is why worldly desires are corrupting the way we live our life. And that's because we're not clothing ourselves for a spiritual world as well. We both live in a physical world and a spiritual world. We know how to get ourselves ready for the physical world, but are we getting ourselves ready for the spiritual world? All of the things, the simple things you have to do to get yourself ready for this physical world... There's simple things we have to do that I, there's no way for me to fudge on them. There's no way for me to tell you there's a much easier way to get it done. There's simple things we have to do for our spiritual preparedness to clothe ourselves. First is salvation. Secondly is continued time spent with God on a daily basis. There's no way to get around it. There's just no way to do it. Uh, it it's not something, you, you wouldn't go outside the door unclothed. So just like you wouldn't go outside the door unclothed, my encouragement to you is don't go outside of your door at the beginning of the day, by not clothing yourself spiritually. Spend a few moments in prayer. Take a few moments and read God's word. But here's another thing. Look at the areas of your life where your worldly desires are corrupting your actions and they're turning into sinful actions which are leading to spiritual death. Look, at, look, look for those things. And if you can't find them, right, ask God to reveal them to you. 
One thing I know about the heart of God is this. He wants to show you the way out of your temptation. That means he will reveal to you your desires that are leading you away from him, and then he'll show you a way out if you'll just simply take time to ask him. But here's something else that's a little radical for some of you, and that would be consider fasting. And when I mean fasting, I'm talking about a classic fast, a fast from food. Take, take time and fast from food. Why? Because this moment that you fast one meal or you decide to fast one day, I'll challenge everybody in this room, fast one day, just one day, all right? I'm talking from sun, from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed, okay? And don't trick it, all right? Don't cheat. Don't go lay down in bed at like six o'clock at night and then wake back up and go, okay, I can eat now. <laughs> don't, I'm, I'm talking, don't, don't cheat it, all right? From the moment you wake up, you go to sleep, you'll eat the next morning. I, I just, I dare you, actually. Take that. Double dog there. I challenge you. Fast one day and, and feel the body and its desires screaming at you. And then deny it. Just one day. Just feel the body's desires going, feed me, please. I can't make it. You can make it, all right? You can do it, all right? It's going to happen. You're going to live. You're going to wake up the next morning, believe it or not. Deny the body the simplicity of food, and you're going to start learning what, what you need to do to start denying your sinful desires. You just, one, of the, one of the things about Christianity today is that we've, we don't learn the discipline of saying no. We learn, we, we learn to live in a, in a spiritual world of duplicity. Like, I get God's way, and I get man's way, and I get them both. No, that only dilutes your Christianity. It doesn't make it stronger. It dilutes it. When you can say, there's grace so I can live man's way, but yet, God, I want to honor you so I'll live your way. So what do we do? We segment our Christianity into what we're doing now and maybe what we would do every single day in the morning and, you know, prayer and reading God's word. But then when we go out into the world, we take, we take lifeless faith out into the world. And it, what does it do? It doesn't bring life. It brings death around us. What we need to learn is we need to learn discipline. And you got to start disciplining yourself. So I challenge you, try that, and you're going to start learning the very, the very secret of saying no to your sinful desires. Because our desires left into ourselves, they build a trap for us, and they bait the trap. That's what they do, always. Build a trap, bait the trap. Think of yourself for a moment. This is the weirdest thing I've ever asked you to do. So just journey with me, all right? Think of yourself as a little mouse. A mighty mouse, though. I don't care. It doesn't matter even what color the mouse is, how strong you think the mouse is, whether it has those little creepy beady red eyes or not. It doesn't matter. You got a little mouse. Think of a mouse that had the ability to build a mouse trap. So he builds the best mouse trap ever, and then he puts cheese and peanut butter on it because mice evidently like that. And then the mouse sits there and watches his own trap. And he watches it, and then he goes... Man, that cheese looks good. That peanut butter looks amazing. I don't know. I get up there and smell it. <laughs> See a little mouse smelling it, right? And he goes, man, I know I built this. I'm the one to put the bait on it, but I've got to have it. And he goes after the bait and bam, thing slams down. He's, he de he's dead. That's crazy. 
But that's what we're doing to ourselves with our desires. We know our desires lead to, lead to sinful actions that lead to spiritual death, but we still keep doing them. It's ludicrous. It's nuts. We think of a person that can't consume just one drink of alcohol. They, they go from zero to a thousand miles per hour. They go from zero to drunkenness. And then watch that person go to a bar weekend after weekend and sit there on Friday night with their buddies and go, yeah, I'm good, man. I can handle this. And you take that example and repeat it over, over and over and over again with multiple different sinful desires. And we build our own traps and we kill ourselves in our own traps. My challenge to you is this. If the Holy Spirit has shown you the trap that you keep trapping yourself with your own worldly desires, go blow the trap up. Walk away. Get away from that group of people. Stop putting yourself in the situation and then blaming others. Oh, man, if they just wouldn't have called again on Friday night. Seriously? You're the one that said yes. And by all means, we already learned don't blame God. So blow the trap up. Romans 13, remember what it said to us? Don't participate. Don't participate. James, he doesn't end here. I mean, this guy gives us some incredible stuff about how to get away from worldly desires and focus in on spiritual desires. And he he basically helps us understand if we want to exchange sinful desires for God's desire, our Christ-centered desires, he said there's a couple more things that he wanted to add to it. And I I would just like to maybe read read one of them for you because one of the things that James goes after uh, is this. He goes, if you're going to change those worldly desires into God-centered desires, then you're going to have to truly know how faithful God is, right? Because why trust God if you don't know how, why would you trust him if you don't know how faithful he is? And so James, he writes in verse 16, so don't be misled, guys. If you want to exchange these desires for Christ-centered ones, don't be misled. Whatever, Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. All right, that was verse 16 and 17. He says, he never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word, and we, out of all creation, became his prized possessions. Now that was in the New Living Translation. Three critical things you've got to know to trust God. First, God only, only gives good and perfect things. That's it. If that's not a core value inside of your heart about your definition of God, it's going to make it really hard for you to exchange your sinful desires for Christ-centered desires. God doesn't give bad things. God only gives good things. All right? You got that one? So here's the next one. The next one that he says is this, that God isn't like a shifting shadow. God never changes. That that means God isn't wicked one day and good the next day. God isn't angry at you one day and happy with you the next day. God isn't wanting to beat you with a baseball bat one day and hug you the next day. God never changes. He isn't like a shifting shadow that no matter where the light's coming, is he over there? Is he over there? What does God think today? How is God going to react today? God doesn't have an emotional problem. Okay, God's stable at all times. And then the last thing was this, that James was trying to drive home. God is the one who created you, by the way. And he says that you are his prized possession. How do you treat your prized possessions? You give him your best attention. That's who God is. That's God's attitude towards you. It's God's attitude towards, you, to, towards me. 
And James says, when you do that, you're trusting God. And when you're trusting God, great things will happen in your life. So first off, understand, God's not out to do harm to you. God's out to to pour out a blessing upon you. But then James also goes on and he reminds us that, listen, God's word can change our desires as well. And I think this is very powerful. Look at what he says in verse 22 then. He says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourself. For if you listen to the word and you don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and you forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Listen to what he says right off the bat about God's word and changing our worldly desires into Christ-centered desires. I mean, just l- listen, listen to his words when he drives home the fact you can't just be hearers of God's word. You have to be what? Doers of God's word. It's important that you don't just hear it, but you apply it to your life. And that's what we have. We have an epidemic of Christianity today that is, it's an epidemic of hearing but not applying. And my challenge to, and I'm, I'm including myself in it, my challenge is this. Christianity is not about entertainment. Christianity is about hearing God's word and applying it. So let's do a little exercise really quick about hearing stuff, right, and actually remembering it enough to apply it. I'm going to give you a series of numbers, and I want you to remember these numbers. You can't write these numbers down on a piece of paper. If you write them down on a piece of paper, you just cheated, all right? You can't use your spouse who's with you. Hey, you remember the first three, and I'll remember the last ones. You can't do that either, all right? Because I know some of you were already thinking of ways to cheat the system, all right? Listen, I'm the best cheater, all right? I understand. Cheater knows cheater. So I'm going to figure out a way to win. So it's just you and you alone, no one else. I'm going to read these numbers to you one time, and you got to remember them. Some of you are like, yes, I'm a genius at this. Okay, good. 402-218-3228. Now, so James is dealing with this issue of, you know, hearing instruction and applying instruction. If any of you guys have raised children, you know instantly right now how difficult it is sometimes to give instruction and to actually see people follow instructions. Are you with me? You know what I'm saying? Right? If any of you are trying to raise a husband, you know how difficult it is sometimes to give instructions and to see those instructions followed through. Sorry, guys. I threw us under the bus. I apologize. But sometimes it just works that way. James is highly encouraging us, guys, don't just be hearers of God's word, be appliers of God's word. He goes all the way to the extreme, but he says, hey, let me give you a picture of what I'm trying to say, all right? The picture is this. What if you looked into a mirror and you saw yourself and you walked away and then you forgot what you looked like? Would that be weird or what? Yes, it would. Think of it in 2016 right now. You got up this morning, your wife went to the mirror, she looked into the mirror to, you know, get ready, and all of a sudden, this is what you hear while you're trying to groggily wake up this morning, Ah! Ah! and then throw something, and the glass breaks all over the place, and you're like, honey, honey, we did this yesterday, Um, Siri, order a new piece of glass. Every time you look in there, it's you, it's you. What if that happened every single day? Would that be crazy? Of course it would. That's what James is trying to say. He goes, as crazy as that sounds, that's how crazy it is to hear God's word today and then to not apply it. Isn't that crazy? It just becomes almost somewhat ludicrous when you think about his own example. 
You're like, that person we'd probably put into like a, a mental facility to protect them from themselves. And James is going, but that's what happens when you hear God's word and you don't apply it. So the number that I gave you, if you'll just take that number and now enter it into your phone, and if you'll just text your name, you'll text your name to me, and um, I will text back an incredible gift to you, okay? Happy Valentine's Day. That's what I'm... That's right. Everyone goes, aw. Aw. Yeah. That's what I'm going to do. That's the gift. See? So when you listen and you can apply it, you get good things. I know that doesn't sound really good here right now, but when you listen to God's word and you apply God's word, you're going to get incredible things. Guys, God's, God's just that way. God is awesome in that way. So here's what we need to know today. When faith collides, when faith collides with hearing, it produces a Christ-centered desire. If you want to produce Christ-centered desires in your heart, then you've got to let your faith collide with what you're hearing, and you've got to apply it. So what's the simplest way to do that? Go right back to James verse 25 that we just read. He says three critical things. But if you look carefully into the perfect law, look carefully into God's word. Don't glance over it. Study it to know it. Study it to memorize it. Study it to apply it. Don't read it for, wow, you know what I read today? Five chapters of scripture. Well, good for you. Did you remember any of it and did you apply any of it though? That's what he's saying. Study it and be of, of God's perfect law. And then he goes, by the way, here's what will happen. It will set you free. It'll set you free. You'll find freedom when you do that. And if you do what it says and don't forget, right? If you do and you don't forget, work hard on not forgetting God's word, right? Then what will happen? You'll receive a blessing. You're going to receive a blessing, I don't know about you, but I want to position myself in a place where I receive a blessing from God. Amen? So James ends. He ends this whole chapter still focused on this thread dealing with desires, the desires of man's heart versus the desires of God's heart and how we align ourselves. This is what he ends with, though. And I'm telling you right now, when I read this verse in light of the thread of desires of switching my earthly desires to Christ-centered ones, it blew my mind away. It literally blew my mind away because I realized for a long time in my life, I put an emphasis in the wrong spot on this particular verse. He says this, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God, the Father, means doing some things that you and me would never argue about. In fact, it would make a much easier sermon today. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God, the Father, means caring for orphans and widows, in their distress. I think we could all agree that's godly. God cares about that. And that's something we need to focus on, right? But then he also says, oh, and by the way, and it's the same, same context and refusing to let the world corrupt you, refusing to let the worldly desires corrupt you. See this entire thought in James from verse 13, all the way to the end, he isn't, he isn't trying to instruct us to go out and minister to the orphan and to the widow. 
We can do that pretty easy. In fact, the church already rallied around that. The church was already a lover of that. That's an easy thing. In fact, even today, we have ministries here at New Life, Royal Family Kids Camp and, you know, a Teen Reach Adventure Camp that are, are loving people that are in an orphan scenario. We got life groups that are caring for the needs of widows here today. That's an easy sermon. Preach it, take an offering. Everybody wants to give money to that. Preach a sermon on you changing your desires from worldly desires to Christ-centered desires. And it's kind of like, oh, that's, that's good, man. Thanks. And James says this. It's equal. As much as you would care about the needs of those, you should care about the need of your own desires being lined up with God's desires. And so today, as our worship teams come in all of our, in all of our venues, I want to encourage you. Worship God today with one heart and with one, with one thought. God, I want your desires to live in me and not my desires to rule me. God, I want to surrender myself to you so that your desires can penetrate this heart so that I can love you and I can love the world around me with the heart that you gave me to do it with. God, please, God, deliver me from my worldly desires and put inside of me Christ-centered desires. All right? Are you with me on that? Let's stand and let's pray. So Lord, we take these next few moments. We're going to take all of our attention. We're going to focus it in on you. Lord, there is, there's, when we look at our, our worldly desires in our hearts, we see a lot of failure. We see a lot of sin. Um, we see a lot of times when, you know, we've completely blown it. Your word says that our sin, it does something. It separates our heart from your heart. It makes us not want to pursue you. But today, God, I pray that people would sense your heart and they would know that it's okay. That even in a fallen, sinful state, that we can pursue you. And that, Lord, you will embrace us. You look for repentance. Lord, you look for a heart that's seeking you. And you wrap your arms around us and you pull us close to yourself. Because you're a loving, caring, generous good God. So we seek after you and we pursue you right now. And in these next few moments, as we use some singing, these songs to express our heart to you, God, may you hear as we sing these words, may you hear our prayer. May you hear our confession. May, may you hear, Lord, our, our cry of help and our cry of dependence upon you and you alone to come and rescue us from ourselves. Come and rescue us from our desires that are leading us eventually to spiritual death. And Lord, let faith collide with our desires that will lead to spiritual life. We pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.